We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. timeline of phoenix suns podcast the utah jazz versus phoenix suns well devin booker game <laughs> just ended and sam is here with me sam how are you doing devin booker just played one on nine <laughs> like his teammates weren't just bad like they were hurting him in that game yeah. jimmer fredette was freezing him out at, at the end of the game <laughs> wow. mike wh- what the fuck did we just watch i've never seen a a role player, I don't even like a deep bench guy, try more for glory than what Jimmer Fredette just did. That was bizarre. One for 10 from the field in 14 minutes. Oh two turnovers, God. six points, an assist, two turnovers, minus 25 in 14 minutes. There's bad. And then there's Jimmer Fredette playing like a product of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, putting him on the court tonight because <laughs> that's how bad it was. It looked like, plain and simple, he didn't belong to be there. He well, didn't he belong doesn't. on a court. I mean, he doesn't. We haven't had a chance to talk about Jimmer Fredette on this podcast because he was signed after our last episode. But he does not belong in the NBA. It's it's a fair to say. It is a traveling sideshow to put him on the court at this point. And that's kind of why he was signed. It, you know, Robert Swiver understands there's a large Mormon population in Phoenix. And if you put a guy like Jimmer Fredette on the floor, they're going to go watch him play. And he's going to make a little extra money off of signing a guy like that. And I just hope I just hope they don't put him on the floor for that reason only because it it was bad tonight. It was real bad. The the lineups were nonsensical. You were pairing him with Elliot Cobo and D'Anthony Melton at the same time. And Jimmer, was, yeah, and, and Booker Troy, Dan, Troy Daniels was playing the three a lot tonight. I just 
look, I, I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, and I'll continue to root for Jimmer for dad as long as he plays for the Phoenix Suns. But wow, what a bad first impression. Yeah, very bad. And I mean, there was a lineup at one point of Elliot Kobo, D'Anthony Melton, Jimmer Fredette, Devin Booker, and Ray Spaulding, which which essentially means 6'6 shooting guard slash point guard, Devin Booker, was playing power forward. <laughs> yeah, and six, what is he, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, Ray Spaulding was playing center. I mean, that yeah. makes sense, so, you know, injuries. Sean Holmes and, was ejected. Yeah, Sean Holmes was gone. DeAndre Ayton didn't play well tonight. We could talk about that. But, hey, let's let's focus on the good first. Devin Booker had 59 points tonight. Yeah. Uh, and, and he just continues to prove that he's the real deal. I don't care what anyone says in this game. Someone posted a stat saying that this was um, – Booker contributed 64% of his team's points tonight, I think it was, which is the second highest percentage for any player in a game ever right after Kobe's 81. Wow. In Wilt's 100-point game, he did not have a higher percentage of his team's points than Booker did for the Suns tonight. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I did not see that tweet. That's incredible. He had 59 points on 34 shots. That is absolutely amazing. He was on fire tonight. Still somehow only five three-pointers to get to that total. Lots and lots of free and- throws. Yeah, and three of them coming in like the first two minutes. Yeah, the first three shots of the game, I believe, for him. Yeah. <laughs> but no one else even know. could play. I don't even know what to say in this one. I, I, he's so good, and we need to get Devin Booker some help fast. What do you think, what do you think the, the mindset in the locker room is after a game like this? Because after the 70-point game, and we should talk about the 70-point game in a minute too, but after the 70-point game, there was this general camaraderie because the Suns had at least kept it close. It was a 10-point loss, and there were other players in the game who kind of contributed. Mm-hmm. Tonight, I think everyone not named Devin Booker wearing a Suns uniform should probably just individually form a line, walk up to him after the game, buy his locker, and just apologize. One <laughs> after another, just line up. Everyone say you're sorry. because this sir. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, because that was a travesty. I... You know what? What I don't want and what I fear, and I don't know why I care, but it feels like another time where we're just going to have to endure so many people saying, yeah, but he scored all these points after the game was over. And, and it's just not its just not true. To, to say that a game is over early in the game is ridiculous because when a guy is that hot, there's always a chance that a team could get back into it. All he would have needed is one other player to play well on the offensive end or defensive end at this point because they, they were not playing defense either. It was a 14-point game going into the fourth quarter, so that argument just doesn't make any sense. The Jazz blew the Suns out of the water, 37-18 to 18 in the fourth, but it was a 14-point game. When it's a 14-point game with 12 minutes left of professional basketball, it's, it's anyone's game at that point. Do you have an opinion, by the way, on the Jazz intentionally fouling to stop Booker from, from getting 60? Well, what I like is that in the Boston game, the Phoenix Suns were intentionally fouling to get Booker up to 70. And the storyline in this game will now be that Utah intentionally fouled up by 100 points <laughs> to stop someone that they couldn't guard from getting 60. So to me, what I like about it is that the storyline is flipped from what it was previously. So you can't say that you know there were cheap points that Devin Booker got at the end of the game because there just weren't. In fact, they literally intentionally fouled away from him touching the ball in order to keep him from getting 60. So it's stupid. It's ridiculous. The fact that you can't guard him is is kind of funny, and, and it just proves that point. 
but uh, I, I do like that it's different. Jay Crowder specifically can't guard Booker. You'll remember after the 70-point game, Book called out Jay Crowder. He said, you can't guard me on Instagram, and now he's gotten him twice, so that's really cool. Um, this was the record for most points uh, in, in a game against the Utah Jazz for, for the Utah Jazz franchise record. Um, so Booker owns that record against the Jazz and against the Celtics. Also, it was nice that Donovan Mitchell didn't even have a good game tonight. Like, if Donovan Mitchell had scored 35 like yeah. he has been doing, quite frankly, recently. This was his first bad game in a while, I think. Uh, if he had scored 35, then I think the narrative in this one would be completely flipped. But Booker at 59, Donovan Mitchell shot 4-14 and had 10 points, uh, 3 assists, and 3 turnovers. Like, one of his worst games of the season. And I don't even think I've heard anyone mention that. Uh, so that, that bodes well for the Suns' narrative as well, uh, if yeah. not for their win-loss record. Well, Booker was putting a lot of these points on Donovan, for the record, especially in the first half. If he was isolated against Donovan Mitchell, he wanted it in the post. He was pushing his way down towards the basket, and he was just getting by him and shooting those uh, short runners off the backboard or, or right in over uh, any help defender. It, it was really impressive to watch. Nobody could guard him, and, and it, it you know it just it's just unfortunate. You know, in this game, Kelly Oubre, Tyler Johnson, T.J. Warren would have made a huge difference. Any one of those guys, just one of them changes the game entirely and we should talk about that so since our last podcast kelly Oubre jr had surgery on his left thumb his shooting hand he's a left-handed shooter and uh, he's out for the rest of the season this is really unfortunate for a lot of reasons we just for those of you who missed it we just posted a video to our youtube channel before this was announced talking about how kelly Oubre has transformed the phoenix suns it's very good please watch it if you have the time and basically, it broke down how big of a difference he's made on this team on offense and on defense and with his attitude and swagger. And to lose a guy like that after he's played so well is really unfortunate. And it really puts a lot on Devin Booker. And he's been playing very well without them. It just doesn't seem to matter at this point because there's just no depth on this team. And if you take away that many players, there's really not much you can do, right? No, not at all. And it's not just Ubre, It's also continuing to not have TJ Warren. Um, this, uh, the Suns, I don't even know where to start. They shot 30%. If we want to talk about four games happened this week, uh, I can't even list them off. Who'd we play? The Jazz. We lost to the Bulls. We lost to the Pistons, right? And we mm -hmm. lost Sacramento. to Sacramento. Um, so I have that right here. The Suns shot 27% from three against Chicago. Next game, 27% from three against Detroit. Next game, 27% from three against Sacramento. Well, we're consistent. Tonight, 30% from three against the Jazz, and it was still a blowout. Oh, but, but I'm saying in some of those other games, you know, it was close. It, it was kind of close, at least. It was in single digits, and you just you can't get over the hump. You can't win games without guys who can open shots. Kelly Oubre is aggressive, and that's fantastic. TJ Warren is a guy who can hit open shots. Tyler Johnson is a guy who can hit open shots. Honestly, even Josh Jackson was shooting better than the rest of the guys on the team right now, and now he's yeah. down too. They just have no one. DeAndre Ayton uh, was, I mean, he, he'll at least throw a few shots up there. He's not afraid to shoot. The main problem right now is Dragan Bender, Mikhail Bridges, as much as I love him, uh, and DeAnthony Melton, they're just timid. They're not shooting, and when they are shooting, they're missing open shots. And, yeah, I mean, Mikhail Bridges probably had his worst game of the season by far today. He shot 0 for 5. Uh, we didn't see any of the facilitating from him today that we saw from him in other mm -hmm. games. So he was really bad. Uh, they, they just they can't can't win with these guys. Yeah, one weird thing 
uh, lately is I don't know if anyone's ever tweeted about this, but is Jamal Crawford just done for the season? He hasn't played the last two games and, uh, you know, zero minutes entirely. And you're talking about these guys being timid, too timid to shoot. You know, that's not a problem that Jamal Crawford has. And and I'm not saying that he would have necessarily helped the team tonight, but it would have been nice to take a little bit of pressure away from Devin Booker. Not that it mattered. He was still scoring at will. But, it, you know, with, with this team the way it is, with Ellie Kobo and unable to hit a three-point shot, DeAnthony Melton completely afraid of shooting entirely, and those being the two guys that are handling the ball the most besides Devin Booker, they become very predictable to guard. And it's just not difficult to, to keep them from scoring. I, you know, you can throw as much as you want at Devin Booker. He's still going to get points, but he can't do it all by himself. So it's unfortunate that those guys just can't seem to find any sort of offensive rhythm. You know, especially, you know, you kind of expect it out of DeAnthony Melton at this point. We haven't really seen him have a single breakout offensive game this entire season, I would argue. Yeah. But with Elliot Kobo, he, he, he is the guy that should come into the league as as someone who's able to shoot off the dribble, someone who can penetrate, someone who can get to the rim. And he's he hasn't been really doing that either. And maybe that's asking too much from him. Well, I should take that back. It is asking too much for him. He shouldn't even be playing on this team at this point of the season. It's just because of injuries that were in this position at all. But it's just unfortunate that neither of those guys can get going, and it's, it's not pretty. As soon as Kelly Oubre Jr. went down, as soon as it was announced that he was done for the rest of the season – the watchability rankings, let's say, yeah. of the Phoenix Suns went down dramatically. Without Devin Booker being a, basically a superhero for the last few games, this would have been absolutely brutal to watch. Yeah, this probably would have been more brutal to watch than even the games at the end of last season with well, Tyler Ulis and Shaq Harrison <laughs> running the show. For I guess it was the Josh Jackson show at that point, so at least we had that to, to look forward to. But to your point, yeah, Melton and Okobo combined for 49 minutes of running the point guard tonight. Uh, I guess they weren't always running the point guard because they were alongside Jimmer a a little bit, but 49 minutes, that's a full fifth of your available minutes. And the two guys combined, they shot two for seven from the field. They had four assists and three turnovers. And you just, I mean, you know, there's no facilitating. Melton, I love his defense, but you you can just really see there's a reason why he was taken 46th overall. Missed his entire sophomore season. They only had that one freshman season for him uh, to go off, and he wasn't effective at the college level there either. He is a huge project offensively, and that's why I think when we were talking about him over the summer as like a a Patrick Beverly type, that's sort of the ideal scenario is he develops enough offense where he's not an offensive liability and you can keep him on the floor and he becomes that Patrick Beverly type of player. Right now, he is very, very far from that Um, and, and just his total lack of offense. I mean, to play 22 minutes as a point guard and only take one shot uh, is really next level. Do you think that it's that it seems like his biggest problem is he's afraid to shoot at all, right? Because we've talked about his catch and shoot numbers. They're not they're good. what you would expect good. from a guy who's, yeah, they're good. He's making, he's making those shots. There's some of the best catch and shoot numbers on the entire team, but he's just not shooting. I, I don't know what it is. There's a mental block there. I know that he, for those of you who don't remember, the story of DeAnthony Melton coming out of the draft, he was injured before he was drafted. Part of the issues with DeAnthony Melton was that he could not shoot. One of the big stories coming into the draft was that he remade his jump shot. And we've seen this before with guys who have remade their jump shot. You know, the the most obvious story being Mark Hill Fultz 
sometimes it gets in your head a little bit when you have to change the shot that you've been shooting your entire life and it, and it tends to make you feel maybe a little bit timid. I don't know if that's what it is for DeAnthony Melton, but it's been really hard to watch with him on the floor and the defense can only do so much. You know, as a point guard defender, you can't change the game. You, you can you can affect it dramatically, but you know, really to change the game, you need a guy like Rudy Gobert uh, who can just absolutely change every shot anywhere within 10 feet of the rim. Well, for Melton, I think it's been brutal. It's been brutal. The shot isn't good, but a- as you noted, uh, and I'm glad you did. The three-point shooting numbers, he's shooting well off the catch and shoot. I, I can pull up those numbers in a second. Overall, three-point shooting, 32% on the season. It's not it's not good, but it's not laughably terrible in a way that some other players on this team, quite frankly, are. I think the biggest problem for Melton is if you want to be successful at the NBA level as a point guard, you need to be able to do two things. Control the pace in the open floor, which is to say run a play in transition, uh, and and be somehow effective on the pick and roll. You need to have a quick first step and be a threat to finish at the rim coming off a screen. Melton, at this point, I think those are his two problems. He can't do either of those things. He's not a threat in transition. He's not a threat off the pick and roll. Uh, and, you know, as long as, I mean, his three-point shooting numbers are bad too, like you said, but his finishing numbers are awful. They're atrocious. Uh, so, you know, it's just an overall bad look for him offensively. Uh, and and as great as he is defensively, it just can't offset those offensive uh, liabilities. Yeah, and it should be said, we're coming down hard on these guys, but the main reason we are at this point is because they're put in a position to fail, basically. They're young guys who, like De'Anthony Melton, Elia Koba, were not high picks. These guys were late picks, especially De'Anthony Melton. And the idea with guys like that is you develop them slowly over time to turn them into NBA players. You're not supposed to start them on a team halfway through the season uh, and and expect them to perform. It's not really fair to them. And it's a problem with this roster construction that we've been talking about this entire season. But the other problem, something we can't avoid apparently, is injuries. It happens every year. And I, you know, I do, part of me still wonders, is that, you know, the injuries we've had in the past at the end of the season have been tanking related, as we know, uh, most famously with Eric Bledsoe. Uh, it doesn't appear to be that that's the case. Of course, not with Kelly Oubre. If you have to get surgery, you have to get surgery. Um, the TJ Warren stuff is a, is a little bit weird, and I, we haven't heard a lot about Tyler Johnson at this point. Um, not that I would imagine they would be holding them out. It seems like these are legitimate injuries, and, and there's no real way to avoid that. Uh, it's just it's unfortunate that they're even put in this position to begin with. I yeah, think. absolutely. I, I don't want to come down too hard on any of those guys. They are being put in position to fail. I mean, there's a reason the Suns are constantly criticized as an organization uh, that fails to properly develop its talent. And why, you know, there's a lot of truth to James Jones saying that he wants to go out and acquire veterans uh, this summer so that it's not just a bunch of 21-year-olds again. Now, hopefully those veterans aren't Trevor Ariza's and uh, Tyson Chandler's and Jamal Crawford's, and they're actually veterans in the 25 to 30 age range that are still capable of playing basketball at a somewhat high level, but you just can't continue to have this. It sucks because, dude, I feel like with the past four seasons, we just keep going in circles with these conversations that we're having. You know, the team is too young. It needs veterans. The veterans on this team suck. Play the young guys and over and over and over again. And and hopefully the Suns can find some way to to get out of that spiral. Um, Melton, by the way, I, I looked it up. He's His shot chart is basically awful everywhere <laughs> it's uh league average from at the basket is 63 percent. he shoots 55 percent underneath the basket league average on mid-range shots is 40 percent. he shoots 23 
League average on above the break threes is 35%. He shoots 29. Uh, so it's it's basically not good any way you slice it. But the one positive stat uh, that I was able to track down, he shoots 37% on catch-and-shoot threes and on uh, a reasonable amount to 1.6 per game. So not the smallest sample size there. Maybe there is something to a shot being me, uh, remade. I honestly don't know. Might be grasping at straws. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really with that level of shooting with just he had one shot tonight <laughs> he shot once it's hard to judge a guy fully and really figure out how good they are at it because there's not much to judge that's really what it comes down to now there's 10 games left there's seven games left i think washington memphis cleveland utah new orleans let's see yes you're right houston oh. and dallas seven games left for the rest of the season not much what do you want to see for these last few games, just in general? Is, is it too much to ask for a couple of wins? These aren't good teams. I mean, no. But I feel like it's just no. impossible. It's just impossible. You want to know what I want to see? What was the game before this one? Again, I, I forget who we played at this point. It was the Kings game. Because they're Sacramento. so forgettable. The Kings game. Yeah. You posted that Mikhail Bridges step back jumper. You know, the thing Josh Jackson likes to do. I want to see Mikhail. It's a terrible yeah. shot in terms of efficiency generally, but I just want to see Mikhail create for himself in some way. Josh Jackson is out. Kelly Oubre is out. TJ Warren is out. Okay, this is your chance. You've got to be the guy, whether you like it or not. Now is not the time to just stand in the corner. It might not be pretty. Mikhail Bridges might shoot 30% for the field for these last eight games if he does take 10-plus shots a game, but i just like to see him try. And this is the cycle we've been in. <laughs> Because last I year, know the, it's the, the cycle. <laughs> it's the cycle. It was it was Josh Jackson. It was why is Josh Jackson taking these terrible shots? But you know, what? <laughs> someone's mm-hmm. got to try. I want to ask you, by the way, before we completely move uh, on to to the next stretch, who was because we didn't get a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. Who was the second best player in tonight's game? Oh, that is obviously it's Jimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you say Aiden? I feel like Aiden was playing like he had cement blocks on his feet. He was bad. He was bad. Like, it was was a complete... uh, We haven't even mentioned... Where was the statement game? Where was the the Aiden domination comeback game? Gobert continues to to have our number every time. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks for Rudy Gobert. He has dominated DeAndre Aiden like nobody has. Nobody in DeAndre Ayton's life I mean, has dominated him harder than Rudy Gobert to this point. I don't think. Th- this box score doesn't even look real. <laughs> it does. It looks fake. It looks like completely fabricated. Nine points, the second highest score, then 59 for Booker. Not a single player in double digits in this entire I mean, game. I mean, I guess it, it you would have to be DeAndre Ayton. You can make an argument... For Dragon Bender. Dragon Bender shot <laughs> one this for point, two. With four points and three rebounds. <laughs> I mean, I would almost be willing to to argue Troy Daniels because you know what? He shot three for eight from the field, one for five from deep. Had seven points, five rebounds, and a steal. But at least he was shooting them. Bender didn't shoot him. Melton didn't shoot him. Yeah. Ray Spaulding didn't shoot him, and, and probably thank God for that. But with Troy, you know, at least he's got a pretty shot. It wasn't going in. Like, you have to grab the... the, the Mental gymnastics to try to come up with a second best player in this game. That's what I'm talking about. That's why, also why I wanted to compare it to the 70 point game. This was worse than the 70 point game because the 70 point game, 
there were other guys doing something kind of like I went back and I looked at the box score in that yeah. game. Alex Len shot four for five from the field. He had 11 points, six rebounds and, and two blocks, basically a typical Alex Len game. Jared Dudley had 10 assists off the bench. Alan Williams had a, almost a double double off the bench. Leandro Barbosa scored some points. This game, it was nothing. There, there's nothing. I mean, Jared Dudley was straight up good that game. It wasn't just the 10 assists was sort of, he was clearly setting up Devin Booker, but the screens he was setting, the way he was directing traffic, and, you know, the way he was talking on defense, he would, he, Jared Dudley's a good <laughs> basketball player. I mean, it's unfortunate that he's gone now, especially to see him developing young guys in, in Brooklyn. It's, it's sad to see that, but he was good in that game. He, he was a good player, and I can't, I can't, Say that about a single player. You know, it's funny to think about this. Jimmer Fredette was the oldest player on the Suns that played tonight at 30 years old. The next oldest was, if I'm not mistaken, Troy Daniels, actually. Those guys, in a sense, should be the veterans. Clearly not Jimmer Fredette. He's played like nine NBA games in his life. Troy Daniels is the oldest other guy besides him. That's really the only other guy that has real NBA experience. That He's played, played in a playoff game. So at it least. makes sense that he was the other guy. He's played play, yeah. in a playoff game. But, it makes sense he was the other guy that played okay. But you can't put Troy in a position to – he knows that's not his role. I mean, it's not fair for us to put no. that role on him because if you don't play the guy – I mean, Jamal Crawford is a little bit different. Troy just had a quote the other day where he was saying he felt good about whatever game it was that he was in recently. Again, was it the Sacramento game? <laughs> like the fourth time I've had to ask which game it was this episode. But he had a quote saying it felt good to <laughs> to feel like I was contributing to something because for the most part, his role this season has been, hey, get off the bench when we're already down uh, by 25 and the game is a foregone conclusion. He hasn't been a regular part of the rotation. So how do you expect him to walk up to guys that have won at least a couple of games uh, like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton uh, and, and the rest of them and really run the show? He's just not he's not going to do that. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to think about the rest of the season. And, and really, my main priority for the rest of the season at this point is that Devin Booker stays healthy. And that's kind of a crazy place to be because it would be, I mean, obviously you want him to stay healthy all the time. But the fact that that's my main concern for the rest of the season is kind of sad. It shows that this season is basically over. I mean, if we have to watch Jimmer Fredette for the next seven games, that's going to be brutal to watch. And I just want to see Devin Booker take what he's doing right now because what he's doing right now we should reiterate that he had 59 points tonight he's 22 years old he already has a game of 59 points a game of 70 points the last game that he played before this he had 32 points and 10 assists he's been absolutely incredible in the last few months since basically since Kelly Oubre joined the team and what he's been doing is phenomenal and he didn't really do it at the beginning of the season he did increase his playmaking but his efficiency was suffering and he did not he just didn't look like he had that first step that's clearly back right now and the main priority that I want going forward is for him to keep that up to stay healthy to stay in good shape so that next season he can start out the season the same way and hopefully maybe even work on his three-point shot this summer and bring that back to form to where it was his last season. And if he adds that to, to – yeah, it's been – It's fine. It's been his three is fine. They just get him the point guard. Put John the team, his three will be back. I promise. I'm, I'm promising you guys right now, yeah. right back up to 36 37%. Just give him someone capable. That's all it is. Man, Ja or Zion right now uh, would look so good. Oh, man. Yeah, it really would. And, and you know, I, I hate to – to boil the draft down to two players because we've been doing that for the last 
few years. But at this point, it's it's what we need. We need one of those two guys, and if we don't, we got to find a way to get a veteran on this team who can help us. And there's other guys that could help us. And before we bring Richard, our friend Richard, back on to talk about this tournament and give us an update on this tournament and talk about some of the prospects uh, for the Suns, we should talk a little bit about the news about the Phoenix Suns general manager search. And it's not good news. It's not good news. What the has news been good news? When was the last the, time we delivered good news? Well, I mean, Golden, we beat Golden State. <laughs> oh, yeah, we beat Golden State. I, I stand corrected. Yeah, the players are the only things to, to hold on to with any sense of hope at this point because there's not been a lot of other great news coming out of any other aspect of the Suns organization because the news is that the Phoenix Suns have spoken with two people for the general manager position. And those two people are Kevin McHale, failed general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Jim Paxson, failed, I guess he wasn't really a general manager, but some sort of role with the Chicago Bulls. A guy that Bulls fans absolutely hate. They hate him uh, with a passion. These two names are disgusting. I don't know if they're trying to stack the deck and make Suns fans beg for James Jones at this point so Robert Sarver can uh, once again hire a guy that's very young with no experience and pay him less than he would have to an experienced guy at this point. But those two names are ridiculous, right? We had this conversation. We already talked about Mikhail. We had this conversation in the past, though, where I think anyone who you bring up, um, can you name me, how many GMs can you name me who aren't disgraced to an extent? I think that's sort of, sort of just the nature yeah. uh, of the game, but but yeah, these names suck. <laughs> I'm not I'm not happy with them. Yeah. Uh, I think the the Suns need to try to pluck someone, some sort of assist. They're gonna need to pluck a young assistant GM like they did with Ryan McDonough. That's probably their best move. I, I'm not even mad if that's just a cheaper name, but I think they need to get some fresh blood in there. I mean, at this point, I'm if these are the options, I'm okay with James Jones, especially if they fill out the front office with guys that can really help him. I, I've mentioned this before on Twitter and on Reddit, but sometimes I wonder if, you know, Chris Bosch has talked about wanting to come into a front office role at this point. And if we could try to duplicate what Miami's done in their culture in Miami with James Jones and Chris Bosch, and maybe we can poach some other assistant general managers or somebody else from that Miami front office to build out Trevor Buckstein and James Jones's staff, that would be nice because that's that's the kind of culture that we should be emulating. Those That team has been consistently good. It's kind of interesting because you look at a team like Philly that's no longer a laughingstock and they just hired Elton Brand as their general manager. And I think that caused a lot of raised eyebrows at the time because Elton Brand is is has no experience uh, as a general manager But before this. Uh, I feel like that's a move that had the Suns done that would have been ridiculed throughout the league. And you know what? For some reason it works for Philly and people are talking about Philly's changed culture. Um, people have applauded their efforts to, to go out and get players like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Uh, it's just interesting how I, I think the reactions to, to whatever the Suns' next move is uh, are kind of going to be stacked against them. They have a reputation. I don't know what move they could possibly make that isn't going to be at least somewhat, somewhat made fun of. That's a fair point to make. So I, I guess for Suns fans, you, you should be prepared for that because 
to the point you made previously, there's just not a lot of general managers that are available that won't have some sort of track record that isn't entirely positive because the guys that have overly positive track records are employed. They have jobs currently. And, you know, that's why a lot of Suns fans point at David Griffin and, and it's and it feels a little bit like David Griffin or bust. The problem with that is David Griffin probably knows that the Suns need him more than he needs the Suns. And that means he would want a massive payday in order to work for this organization, which makes it less and less likely that that will happen. And I think for a lot of Suns fans, we've got to give up that dream because I just don't see it happening at this point. It's not going to happen. They're not going to give Griffin the money that he wants. I I know it's not the nature of the game for GMs to be open uh, and, and airing out their strategy to the public. But I just wish we could go into the offseason with a little bit more of an indication about what the vision of James Jones and Trevor Buckstein is because I just still don't. I still don't know. I feel like all we've gotten to this point are these little tidbits from James Jones about we're going to go out and get veterans. But, you know, I'm just assuming that they're going to go out, they're going to acquire a point guard, they're going to acquire power forward, that they see all the same issues on this roster that that we do, that the two of us and, and everyone else who talks about the Suns on the side has seen. But how do we know for a fact that they really do see those issues? And we don't. We we really don't. And and we have faith in an organization that hasn't given us a lot of reasons to. Uh, you know, that means that the faith is waning. It will be, I guess it's, it's a feeling of this is the most important offseason since last offseason every <laughs> year at this point. But <laughs> this is a very important one because we, we haven't been in a, a position to keep a star happy and now we are. We just saw a guy score 59 points, uh, do something that just guys his age should not even be capable of doing, and he's done it more than once. And at this point, we have to give him some help because, you know, otherwise it becomes hard to be a Suns fan. I I hate to just boil it down to that, but, I mean, how could you continue to support a team that can't make their one-star player happy or give him any tools to succeed it just becomes very hard yeah we're talking about the one player that has given us glimpses of hope to get out of the gutter for the past nine years maybe that's not fair to goran dragic maybe there was a time when or eric bledsoe even i don't know did it feel like there was a time when goran dragic or eric bledsoe was really going to lead us to the promised land i don't think so i think for the most part devin booker is the first guy we've had since nash where it really feels like you could build something special around him and they need to get on it because the clock's ticking. Completely agree. Now, quickly, before we uh, get on with Richard and talk about uh, what we can do to get him some help, um, I just want to make a point. I Watching Derek Favors tonight and in the last game, he has a team option. So Utah has a team option for Derek Favors next year. There's a chance he could, he could be a free agent. It's very unlikely. Utah's probably going to pick up that team option, although it's very big. So if, if Utah has any chance, I think it's $19 million. If Utah has any chance of signing any other free agent, they probably have to let Derek Favors go. But to see how well he's playing with Rudy Gobert, another big, really makes me picture him on the Suns and how good of a fit he would be on this team. I don't know if there's any chance that he becomes a free agent, but that would be nice. Maybe maybe they look to trade him in any way. That, that would be a player that would fit well on this Suns team. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I agree. The spacing is obviously an issue, but... Uh, actually, that's going to play into our conversation with, with Richard as well because, I mean, the top power forward prospects in this draft, if you draft Zion, spacing's going to be an issue. If you somehow get Brandon Clark, uh, spacing's going to be an issue. So for favors, he would help with all of Aiton's weaknesses. 
which are he would play some great weak side defense. He would really rebound the ball well. That's not one of Aiden's weaknesses, but it's one of the team's weaknesses in general. Uh, he would just be a good fit. And he's worked with Igor. What do you think of Rubio tonight? Uh, better than the last time we watched him. He was attacking the rim. His handles look good. You know, still doesn't seem to be a capable shooter. But it wasn't like it wasn't like I'll the put last it, game that we I'll saw put him it play this way: team. if if you strike out on every other option, and your options are Terry Rozier or Ricky Rubio, what who you got? Rubio. Yeah, me too. I think I would say Rubio. me too. I think, but it would still be like a C C minus off season. He's shown he's shown more than than Terry Rozier has, and I know that's unfair to Terry Rozier's one playoff run where he looked like a star. Um, but he was playing against an unmotivated Eric Bledsoe, and I think that had a lot to do with it. So, you know, Eric Bledsoe still had to shake off that Suns culture a little bit in order to play right like he is this season with Milwaukee. Uh, but let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be on with Richard Stamen. We recorded this at halftime of the Utah game, uh, and we'll talk about this tournament and what players we plan on watching and what players we plan on targeting. So stick around. Every time I, I lace up my shoes, you know, I'm going out there you know, to compete and to win um, and try to lead my team to victory. Um, so whatever I can do to do that, um, I had to roll in a little bit today, so you know, we kept playing, kept playing through me. Um, but you know, our teammates didn't go screens, getting the ball on time. Um, we're still struggling on the defense end. You know, they're scoring too easy in transition. I think too many live ball turnovers. We had like 22 turnovers, something like that. So can't win a game, especially against a team like this in this arena. Joining us once again is at Mavs Draft, Richard Stamen. Richard, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me on. I have my first question for you. I finally got to see a full game of John Morant. Is he always that bad defensively? (laughs) It's not pretty. Um, It definitely looks worse against a major opponent. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with he's really skinny. That's definitely going to do wonders for him in the NBA is adding some strength. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, kind of yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to see it firsthand. It's different, you know, highlights are one thing, but watching a full game beginning to end, you can just see all the mistakes. Now he was sensational offensively, like really amazing. If he can hit that three point shot off the dribble consistently, I mean, there's a, I mean, the number two is obvious, but there's a case that he could be one of the best players or the best player coming out of this draft from my perspective, but we'll see if that ends up happening. What's stood out? for you so far watching these tournament games? Honestly, like beyond the fact that the tournament has been unbelievably boring, uh, it's really been <laughs> the fact that no one's stock has changed for me. Everyone really outside of like two players who are second round guys, no one's, pro- no one's um, status has just dropped or anything. They're all, nothing changed for me. Like I've seen Jaw do this multiple times where it really didn't have an impact on me. It was kind of an icing on the cake for him being number two though just because he did it against Marquette and, you know, not against like Austin PA, uh, no disrespect of course, but, um, it's, it's a lot nicer when you see it against a major opponent and another point guard who is on the NBA radars. You know, I don't think we actually asked you last time. Do you have a solidified like top five or six right now? If you asked me last time, I would have said no. Uh, I actually, I'm about to post my, my first like blind big board. I haven't looked at anyone else's, uh, boards anywhere. So I apologize if this is like really out there, 
But my top, what was the number you wanted? Top, I mean, what whatever you want. Top five or six could be more than six, that, though. If you're just one. whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm comfortable with all of it basically. But <laughs> uh, I'll do top six. So I've got Zion number one, John Morant number two. Those two are like just in a class of their own. Uh, you really can't convince me that either of them can move. And then from here, from three to six, it's all pretty close. I think uh, RJ Barrett being the number one advantage guy in that range uh so he's my number three and then number four i really like jackson hayes i'm all in on him uh hmm. he's just an all-around defender i think he can be like a deandre jordan he's an incredible athlete uh, and he can defend the perimeter even better so hmm. there's a lot to like about him and then i've got deandre hunter and kelton johnson to wrap out my top six and then actually you know what i'll do top seven i'll do top seven because there's a point guard at number uh seven and that's hmm. Darius garland okay the first thing that, that stands out to me about your top seven compared to just big boards that I've seen so far, no Jared Culver, who's a guy that mm -hmm. we didn't yeah. get to talk about last time. And he had a hell of a performance uh, mm -hmm. over now. Granted, it was Northern Kentucky, but he, he had a great performance, 29 points, eight rebounds, seven assists on 10 of 17 shooting. A lot has been made about him fixing his shot form as well. Can you talk a little bit about him and, and maybe some reasons that you would take uh DeAndre Hunter or Kelton Johnson over Jarrett Culver? Because personally, I, what I've seen out of Culver so far, it's hard to convince me that R.J. Barrett is actually a better prospect than him. And, and I've, I've heard that a lot as well. Um, I, I cannot get behind Culver. I, I've watched him a lot. I watched him a lot last year, I mean. Um, I've seen almost every one of his games. I've, I've been obsessed with him, and I've been trying to find that, that link that everyone else is seeing. And I just cannot find it. He's got a kind of slow first step. It's like average at best. And the fact that he can't really get off a jump shot without it really getting contested every single time, that really scares me. And I think a point or a combo guard has to have one of those two things. And he doesn't have either of those. But he is still in my top 10, just to clarify. Now, you're talking about nobody's really changed their draft stock so far. Brandon Clark, I think, is is a guy that sort of stood out for a lot of people. Gonzaga obviously being a one seed and, and maybe the best looking team so far in the tournament. And he's had some pretty impressive games. Has what he's done, is that just not surprising to you? Is it that he's older compared to a lot of these guys going into the draft and, and you expect more out of him? Or why hasn't his stock changed for you? So I had him at number nine entering, uh, I guess, Sunday or Thursday. Thursday is when the tournament started. I apologize. Uh, I had him number nine on Thursday and the way he played is just, I've seen it so often that it's just, it's, it's not really surprising. I think he's going to be the ultra, ultra role player, uh, obviously incredible defender. So I have him in my top 10. There's really nothing changed on that just because it's almost the norm for him at this point. We're almost getting bored with him being incredible. Like he's one of the top three players in the country, I think this year, uh, just in terms of college. So he's, he's really He's a high floor guy. I don't see a high ceiling in him just because I don't trust his jump shot all that much, but he's going to be able to do everything else at a really high level. Clark is just such a fun, electrifying player to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've just had so much fun watching. I mean, the, what you said about him being one of the top three players, uh, just as college basketball players, not necessarily in how they'll translate. I think that's becoming a very popular opinion now. The question, of course, yep. with the Suns is how does that spacing work with Aiton? And I just, I don't know how it's going to work because he's, playing the dunker position so frequently that's basically I was getting all of his points um but on the other hand man just imagining a defense with Mikhail Bridges and Brandon Clark on the floor at the same time he may not have God. like the wingspan but his, <laughs> his instincts are just 
they're phenomenal. Like it would be so good to watch. And that's why we sort of ended our conversation last week, Richard, with you saying you would be very comfortable taking the fourth overall pick or the fifth overall pick and just trading down because you don't trust anyone four through 10. So if you can trade four or five for, you know, 10 or 11 and get a veteran or some future assets at the same time that you would, that you would do that. After seeing the first two rounds of the tournament, are you still pretty set in that opinion? Um, I, I, I'd lean towards saying that I would keep it a little bit more, uh, or I would lean towards keeping it a little bit more. Um, but I still think ultimately trading it, because I think Brandon Clark's going to be there at eight or nine. I think he's going to be right there. Uh, I think teams are going to try and swing for the fences with guys like Sekou, Dumboya, Darius Garland, uh, even Kobe Whiter and Yusir Little. Like Those guys are all the upside picks and I think people are going to get lost in what's good now uh, from Brandon Clark. I think, you know, you talked about your who you have one through seven, Darius Garland being the second point guard that you have after John Morant. Now, if the Suns end up with the third overall pick, this is, this is a, a debate going around on Suns Twitter and Suns Reddit. What we do if we end up with the third pick, do you think the difference between RJ Barrett and Darius Garland is big enough that the Suns would be crazy to trade down to pick a point guard just to pick for need? Or do you think that they should just pick the best player available in R.J. Barrett? I think you'd be really, really bold to pass on R.J. Barrett just because I think at the worst, you can hold on to him for two years if he really isn't a fit, but he's putting up numbers. You can trade him because he'd be a good asset. I think he'll, at least for the first four years, be a good asset. I don't think he's going to be... I don't think he's ever going to be in danger of really busting per se um but i think he's he's got kind of a lower floor where he's not going to be as effective as you'd like for a top three guy uh i think eventually you could trade him that's my ultimate thing is just take him if he doesn't work out trade him just try and boost his value um this is going to sound really bad for any mavs fans listening but if dennis smith was able to net be the main part of christoph's porzingis you'll be able to get Mm. i think even more from rj barrett so take the asset uh in that way the other thing we wanted to talk about is right now we're we're at halftime of utah versus uh the suns (laughs) (laughs) and devin booker has 27 points the rest of the suns team has 16 (laughs) points the suns need help on the offensive end uh and they need shooters there's not a lot of shooters on the team right now uh you know obviously we can look there's not a lot of shooters first of all at the top end of the draft so the Suns really aren't likely with that first round pick, not going to be able to really target a shooter there. But likely with the second round pick, that's something they're going to be looking at, assuming we end up keeping that second round pick. Are there some shooters that you think would be good to target in the second round for the Suns? Oh yeah, that's there. it's come a long way because up until about a month ago, I didn't see anyone who I classified as like a pure shooter outside of Cameron Johnston and maybe Dylan Windler of Belmont, which I'm sure if you saw the Belmont game, I guess he would be my one riser. Uh, yeah. But he uh, he was really good. Um, so those two are two guys who I see as just shooters. Uh, Windler can kind of do a little bit more. But some other guys I think that can come on the scene are Jordan Poole of Michigan. He's the one who hit that insane shot last year. Mm. Um, and then my biggest sleeper, one of my biggest sleepers, is uh, Robert Franks of Washington huh. State. That dude is, I saw he that. is a sharpshooter. Yeah, you saw, I tweeted about him. He's like in the top tier of spot-up shooting. I've never seen a miss from him where it's like ugly and his makes are pure swishes. Like it's it's really special to watch him and he's just completely flown under the radar. Um, and he was in the draft process last year. So someone like him could 
easily sneak in the second round. Like they're from people are familiar with him. Uh, I think those are three really interesting names to watch for just pure shooters. What was the stat you threw out there? Was it 49% on catch and shoot threes or, or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. He was shooting 48% on catch and shoot threes. Okay. And that's I crazy. Think, and there's only like four people who are shooting a higher percentage on that with as many attempts as he has. I have wow. to ask because I, I just think it would be interesting to know, like, what's your process when you evaluate shooters specifically? I know people kind of sort of historically don't rely on actual three-point shooting numbers. You're dealing with differences in, in the strength of schedule and differences in sample size. Uh, so how much do you rely on stats versus really looking uh, and, and taking a deep dive on guys' mechanics uh, when trying to evaluate how their shots will transfer over the NBA level? Yeah, so I look at how they get the shots and basically how the shot looks. Like The shot form is honestly the biggest thing. Because someone can shoot 50% from three and 90% from the line. If that thing's ugly and it's just going in, that's not gonna, you know, that's not gonna prove anything. Um, so Robert Franks, for example, I really like his stroke. It's it's unbelievably smooth. It gets the perfect result every time. It's not an, not a coincidence. Um, and he's got the size to get it off and everything. He's got a good shot creation ability. Uh, whereas some guys like Kobe White, I'm not as high on his jump shot just because it's somewhat of a push shot. It's not not that smooth going off. I know he's got the good numbers and everything. Uh, but I'm a little bit lower on his. I, I think not all numbers aren't equal, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. You're right. Kobe White, actually, I saw also today, I think 48% on catch and shoot threes. So really good efficiency there. So that, I, yeah, I guess for me, that's just sort of, yeah, that's just, he's got good efficiency at the rim too while, while we're on the topic of Kobe White. But I guess it's just so hard for me to parse there because I'm, I'm not really a scout. I'm just jumping into these games sort of late in the season, trying to figure out what the numbers really mean and, and not trying to rely too heavily on the numbers. Is there a matchup coming up in this tournament that you're looking forward to soon, I should say, like like specifically <laughs> in players, maybe not teams, but players going up against each other? Yeah, there's two that jump off right away. Um, I think the first one is Oregon and Virginia because DeAndre mm-hmm. Hunter versus Lewis King, who he is my number one sleeper. Uh, <laughs> Lewis King is 20. the... Lewis I, King I, is the Donovan Mitchell of this year's draft, as I believe your pinned yep, tweet, pin tweet on Twitter. Yep, and he's I stand gonna, by that. I will, he, I will, I will stand by that because he's going to rise like crazy. <laughs> he's got a smooth-looking stroke. Yeah, his jump shot's really smooth. It uh, gets a little bit too much arc at times, um, but he's an incredible athlete. Uh, he's really misused in Oregon's system. That's really why I think he hasn't gotten enough recognition for the first 20 games he was back he was just sitting in the corner and they're like here do something with five seconds left so not a lot you can do with that um him versus deandre hunter uh not necessarily in a matchup like on ball but like kind of just overall will be interesting to monitor who has the better game and then i'm really excited to see kenny wooden again he's he's one of those guys who i I watched last year a lot as well and and i thought he should have declared and come out but he wanted to stay and I guess, have some bigger success at Oregon, and he did. Um, and he's just the best shot blocker in the country. I, I don't care what the numbers say. He is the best, just like the most exciting shot blocker in the country. And then, oh, yeah, I guess I, I said two. And then the other game, Texas Tech and Michigan, just because it's uh, Jordan Poole, Charles Matthews, uh, and I can't even say the other guy, Brad Zakis, <laughs> and uh, against Texas Tech with Culver and I, I, that'll be a really fun one. Just see how he does against Michigan. Looking forward to it. Sam, you got anything else? I got to ask while we're on the topic of shooters real quick. Fletcher <laughs> McGee, 
Does he have any case to be drafted, or is that oh, just a brief, brief hype? He, I think he lost it. He was my guy who I think he was the only person that I really, really had an impact from the tournament. Um, I think him going, what was it, 3 of 27, I think, o was for, the number. Oh, for 12. Against, against uh, well, yeah, yeah, in that game, no, he did not shoot 27 threes. Uh, <laughs> no, but against Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky this oh, year. Oh, I think yeah. that was his number, was 3 of 27. Wow. And he couldn't get the shots off. He couldn't get the good looks. He couldn't make it. Um, I just, it turned me off. I, I thought the first two were flukes, and I kind of thought the Seton Hall stuff was the real stuff. Because I tweeted just a couple weeks ago, I said, why can't he get these looks with Russ? Like, if you had Russell Westbrook playing next to you, I thought he would be able to do it. I don't buy it. I, I think he can only hit an open three in the NBA, unfortunately. Richard Stamen, thank you so much for joining us once again here on The Timeline. Looking forward to talking to you again, maybe closer to the end of this tournament. Don't forget to follow him at Mavs Draft. Do you have anything else for us, Richard? That's it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. By the way, this uh, start of the half has not been pretty. Oh, I, ha- I can't even. With I'm, a in, loose ball. I'm in a different room, so I can't even see it. Same, it literally started same. with the turnover. <laughs> yep. Well, that we're kind of used to that. <laughs> right, now I'm just hoping for 50 points by Booker. At least we can watch that. Hey, 70, 70. just wrapped up another episode of the timeline i love this podcast and if you're like me you want as much sun's content as possible that's why i listen to the timeline every week so if you want to go ahead and hear some more phoenix sun's content go ahead and listen to the solar panel of phoenix sun show we are available on spotify on itunes on stitcher on google play anywhere that you listen to podcasts go ahead and check out the solar panel a phoenix sun's show Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.